What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, and I'm joined today by the one person who will respond when I ask him how he's doing. Chris Grenham, what's going on, man? Tom, I am doing well. How are you today? I'm super caffeinated at the moment, so this podcast could go off the rails. We like um, caffeinated draft pods. I like that. You're letting the cat out of the bag here. We're doing a, uh, a draft podcast here. We are going to go through a fairly lengthy list of prospects, and we're going to give kind of the case for and the case against. And this entire podcast is going to be brought to you by our good friends at Shades On. Grenham, why don't you uh, kick us off with the Shades On Beer Company rundown? Yeah, Shades on Beer Company, normally the presenting sponsor of the Geno Time Draft, but today it's a full draft pod. So the entire episode is going to be a Geno Time Draft themed pod brought to you by our friends at Shades on Beer Company, the makers of the Geno Time Stout, which is now available. Again, we'll have more details on where you can find it in the Boston area, but keep your eyes out at your local liquor stores for the Geno Time Stout. If you're a Celtics fan in Rhode Island, check out the Shades on Beer Garden and Tasting Room in West Kingston, Rhode Island. Honestly, if you're a Celtics fan in New England at all, just keep an eye out for Shades on Beer Company products. They have great products beyond just the Geno Times Stout. And with that, let's dive into some of these prospects here. Well, let's start with a couple of the bigger names. These are guys that people seem to have a little bit more interest in. Let's begin with, I think, the biggest name that's kind of being floated in the second round. I still think there's a decent chance that he goes, at the very least, before the Celtics pick and you know potentially maybe a little higher on a team that wants to take a shot on him. Uh, let's start with B.J. Boston. Uh, the case for, the case against, where are we at with B.J. Boston right now? I mean, the case for is pretty obvious, right? You take a shot at him and he hits his ceiling and there's a ton of potential there. He has good shooting potential. He's a really, really good, what I want to say, like shot creator, I guess. I mean, there's a ton of offensive talent there. So if you're looking to make a case for BJ Boston, it is his offensive ceiling without a doubt. Yeah, he has some defensive potential too, but really the positive portions of his game as it stands right now are on the offensive end. And he's flashy as hell. He's super, I still want to say he's pretty raw on the offensive end and that we saw a lot of that in his first year at Kentucky. Obviously, it did not go as planned. The case for him, I think, is very straightforward. He has a ton of potential and there's a really, really high ceiling, a higher ceiling than most guys in his range right now. So yeah, you want to take a shot at him. You've got a pretty low floor, but you've got a pretty damn high ceiling too. Look, let's just come out and say it. The case for him is that you're drafting a, like the the upside is that he's an all-star. Like that's what it is. He was a lottery projected guy not too long ago. He was a top five guy. When you watched him in high school, the talent was so high. The, the, the skill level was so high. The shooting was so good. He really struggled at Kentucky. And look, again, you want to talk about the case for he would not be the first Kentucky guy to not play well at Kentucky, go into the NBA, and then be way better. Not for nothing, this Kentucky season it was so screwed up, and this team was so poorly assembled, even with you know some of the talent that they had. Just a bizarre Kentucky team. Now, the case against is kind of scary. Like you said, very low floor. I'm concerned about the fact that his jumper just doesn't look the same. You know, I get get some shades of Markel Fultz. I get those concerns 100%. Mm. He's tough to kind of pin down because I think you, if you're going to draft him in like the late first round, you need to be a team that's ready to take on a project as opposed to a team that's like, let's shore up our already contender status. Yeah, I think that really complicates the evaluation for him. Once you start to get into the second round, I think the complication goes away entirely. And that's why I don't think he's going to last to where the Celtics are picking. I think that if yeah. you're a team at like 37, 38, 39, you're looking out there and you're like, hey, like I could get literally a potential all-star. Let me take this shot on him. So I think he'll be gone by the time the Celtics are picking. But I, I do understand. And I, and I think that the case against isn't particularly strong when you look at number 45. 
But the case against him is significant and it should not be ignored as much as we both talk about how much we like him. Right. And I mean, you could talk about pick number 35, let alone 45. And I still think the case against is not that strong. I mean, Agreed. there's a there's a lot to like compared to other second round prospects in this particular class. And he's a six, six guy who's a really good athlete and has shown really good shooting flashes in the past, had a bad prior year. It's hard to evaluate a really bad shooting year, just as it is to evaluate like a Davion Mitchell shooting year, where it's just like a giant spike out of nowhere. So I think if you're also an NBA team, another appealing upside portion of this is what happens when he puts on some weight. He's, I don't know, 180 right now. Like he is very, very skinny. And at Kentucky, he just couldn't really finish inside at all. And that's just not going to change in the NBA. So maybe he puts on a little muscle. He's already pretty long. He puts on a little muscle. Maybe he can finish inside a little bit better at the NBA level because he didn't have that at all at Kentucky. And that limited his offensive creation quite a bit. How many times could you deadlift BJ Boston unbroken? Like probably <laughs> 20, right? Like probably I, I think, a decent amount. Like quite a few times. Yeah. He's not a, he's not a large young man. He's not a large man. No. You know, I I think the Davion Mitchell thing is really interesting because which do you trust more? Do you trust the one year spike or do you trust the years of seeing him be a good shooter where there's a fall off? Like I don't yeah, know. I think that's a leading question that we both know the answer to. <laughs> I definitely, I mean, yeah, I don't know about the Davion Mitchell spike that everyone seemed to jump all over. Yeah, that's a little odd to me, but I trust BJ Boston's history a little bit. I think it might have been a tough situation with a million guards at Kentucky, and he was just kind of in a tough spot that he didn't really know how to react to. And yeah, that's not a great sign because he didn't adjust all that well to a different role. But I think there's plenty of positives where if you're a second round team, he's kind of a no brainer. I agree. Another guy, another kind of buzzy name is Dacian Nix. Obviously played at the G League Ignite. Just a super, super heady passer. When you want to talk about like an advanced knowledge of the game, advanced passer, he really can dish it. I guess if we're just doing the case for he can he can handle, he can really, really pass the thing. I like guys like that where the feel is so high. I, I just think that there is potential to develop other aspects of their game when the feel is that high. Doesn't always happen, but you know, sometimes it does. So I don't know. I mean, what what do you think of him and, and, and what do you what did you like when you saw him at the combine? Dacian Nix is a really interesting case. Uh when I saw him at the combine, that was my first thought as odd as it sounds, oh, he looks like he's in shape. Because when you watched him with G League Ignite, he was thick and not the kind of thick you're looking for at a point guard. Not Kyle Lowry. Not Kyle Lowry. And he looked slow. He's always been kind of slow laterally on defense. And yep. that was completely amplified with his added weight. He looked like he was in really good shape at the combine. And he still wasn't moving wildly well laterally, at least on the defensive end. But like you said, he's an unbelievable passer. Like his court vision for his age is it's well beyond his years. It's really, really impressive if you're looking for just a pass first point guard. That being said, his shot still wasn't going in. He's not a very good shooter. So he's kind of, I don't want to say he's a one-dimensional point guard, but he's as close to that as you're going to get. He's not a good finisher and he's not a very good shooter. But I kind of keyed in on him for about half a day of the second day of the combine, I want to say. His shot did look better. It wasn't always going in, like I just said, but it did look better. You can tell he's working on that. And the mechanics just look a little smoother. It was pretty rigid when he was with the G League Ignite. So I don't know. I mean, if you do want to make the case for him, you're looking at a guy who's just a brilliant passer, a really, really good. He's got really good court vision and he can manipulate the pick and roll like extremely well. He's really, really patient. And if he can reel in some of the flashiness, kind of like we were talking about with the Amadar, 
with G League Ignite and prior, he's kind of throwing these wild passes every now and again and just turning the ball over a ton. At least in the scrimmages, it looked like he had reeled that in a little bit. And I think that would be a major positive as he moves to the professional level. But I agree. I mean, he does have a somewhat of a high floor as a point guard solely because of his passing skill and the way he can operate an offense. But in modern NBA, a lot of teams want to look for that shooter who can also pass and can also operate in the pick and roll. So it's tough because I, I don't think he brings a lot on defense at all, even though he's slimmed down. And so so that's another downside too. But one of the best passers in the class, and I'm not just saying that because we're focused on him. He really is. He's a great passer. Just a kind of case for, case against. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. the shooting as like a case against. And like, you know, like you said, I don't know how much potential there is as a shooter. And that's concerning. I mean, look, like you're an NBA team. You're looking for these guys who can pull up. Like you, you almost kind of have to have that at, as a point guard at the NBA level. I, I, I sometimes, it, it's starting to feel like it would be more beneficial to have, you know, a five foot 11 guy. I mean, you know, we talked about like Marcus Howard last year and you chuckled at the idea that he might play NBA minutes. And I was like, I kind of think he's gonna because he can get buckets and like- He played NBA minutes. He played NBA minutes. And I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, he's a disaster defensively. He's way too small, but like at the point guard position, that almost doesn't matter as much as just being able to get a bucket, you know? Yeah. And like Dacian Nix is just never going to be that guy. The case four is that he's really tall. Like he's six foot five. And the other interesting thing about Nix is that his passing, I think he's kind of a Lonzo type guy where he's not, you know, he's not shifty around the pick and roll necessarily. Mm. Again, he's, he's a large young man, but like, He's not as like shifty. He's much more of just like a like a heady passer. And the thing with Lonzo was that he turned himself, and, and he always kind of was like a, a really good defender. And Dacian isn't. You know, in, in terms of a case four case against, I think the case four is that he has the super elite skill, and if he develops something else, he can be a super um, effective point guard, or at least an effective one, maybe not super effective. And the case against is that he might not develop anything else, and he might just be a super good passer. So right. we'll see. But he's he's an interesting guy to me for sure. The floor for him is making a lot of money overseas as a really good straight point guard who doesn't really shoot a whole lot. And that's fine, too. Um, Let's get into some of the the less well-known names. One of my favorites, JT Thor. Man, he's good. So, you know, six foot ten, very long, super, super, super versatile defender. For me, the case four is that you are getting a potential elite defender. Not just like decent, not just like, oh, like that's a good pickup for the second round. He's got everything. Like he is super switchable, super long, super good shot blocker, can guard guards easily, and just a super high IQ player. I really like him. I mean, I would be like surprised if he was available for the Celtics, even though all of the mocks seem to suggest that he will be. So, uh, yeah, he's he's a good one on your list from from my perspective. Yeah, let's stick with the case for because there's a big case for JT Thor that I think is rising by the day. I don't think he stuck out to a lot of people early on because he wasn't he didn't put up crazy numbers or anything at Auburn in his first year. But man, you're talking about his defensive side of the ball. He's such a smart defender. And you combine that with the fact that he has a seven three seven four wingspan, so whatever it is, long. and he's crazy athletic. He can guard anyone on the floor. He moves his feet so, so well, and he it just makes a whole lot of sense for me if he somehow falls into the second round. There's no way he's going to fall to 45, I don't think, at this point, because I really do think his his defensive ability alone makes him a really appealing option deep into this draft. But in the open floor, his athleticism is really incredible. Like, he runs the floor very, very well. He can make plays at the rim very well. He's quick. He can actually handle the ball on the open floor pretty well. Again, so, yeah. And again, he's still pretty raw on that end, but the upside there and the potential is crazy, crazy. You don't see guys that size with that kind of footwork all that often, and... 
it's all there. So the case for <laughs> JT Thor as we're as we're drooling over him is is quite good. It's quite good. There are like five guys, six guys, seven guys in the first round who I would take him over. Who would you rather have? JT Thor is not here, Williams. Yeah, what are we doing here? No. I think I'm taking JT Thor. Like, yeah. the defense is so projectable. Same thing with, like, Usman Garuba. It's like, what's the case for Usman Garuba that, like, you can't also make for JT Thor? I'm, so, I'm definitely taking JT Thor over. I'm looking at the Tankathon mock draft now, too. I'm definitely taking him over his teammate, Sharif Cooper. Probably taking him over oh, Garuba. Oh, I'm not going to say definitely on that one. I like I Sharif am. Cooper. I am. I'm, I'm getting lower on Cooper by the day, if I'm being honest. What are your downsides with Thor? Because there is, there are downsides. There's a reason why he's not a unanimous first round pick. I mean, he's not, he's not a great playmaker. You know, he kind of does sometimes get that tunnel vision a little bit, which you see a lot with his, with younger prospects. And he could definitely serve to put on some muscle. Yep. And then his shot is the other thing that comes to mind. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, he needs to tighten up, like, everything offensively. And I think that the reason that I'm high on him is because sometimes you'll get guys who are, like, defensive prospects who you're like, he's not a lost cause on the offensive end. The thing with Thor is that he is, like, he's actually not a lost cause. It's like, I I think the things that are there can be tightened up. You talk about, like, the tunnel vision. He was a freshman this year. He's really young. Like, there's every reason to believe that he'll tighten that up as he gets older. And I think when you look at the Celtics, his defense will get him on the floor. That's how this, I mean, I guess, we don't know for sure how Ime Udoka is as a coach, but like with Brad, you would have been like, yeah, for sure. Like JT Thor's defense is going to get him on the floor and then he can tighten up the offensive stuff piece by piece. I'm not a huge believer in his shot. I think it's okay. Yeah. Maybe it comes around. Like it's not broken. You know, he made a couple of them. When you watch some of his offensive clips, like his pump fake and go can be deadly, especially because so he's explosive. so explosive. Yeah. Cause he's so explosive. Um, but yeah, I mean, the case against is obviously like he needs to tighten up a lot offensively. I'm still super high on him because I think like the, the age, there's plenty of reason to believe that he will tighten it up. I have a hard time seeing him fail, but there, there, like, there are downsides offensively for sure. Yeah, I mean, you got a, a 19-year-old who's 6'9 with a 7'3 wingspan who's a really good pick-and-roll defender already and just smart basically in any defensive situation. I think there's plenty of upside with his athleticism, with his footwork. If he turns out to be a solid complimentary guy who's a brilliant defender, that's a win, yeah. especially deeper into this draft. So I yeah. think there's... I think the case for JT Thor right now is is stronger than the case against. I agree completely. Let's move on here. David Duke obviously played at Providence. Why don't, why don't you give us the full David Duke rundown? His measurables are the thing that stand out from an NBA perspective. 6'5", with a pretty good wingspan, about 6'10", 6'9". Any point guard with size, length, athleticism, whatever, that's intriguing, right? And he had a pretty good year for Providence. He kind of was the guy. And he can score, and he can run the floor. I'm not as sold as I wish I was on David Duke. Obviously, I'm a big fan because I rooted for him at Providence. But his jump shot still looks pretty robotic, is the way I would describe it. He's good in transition, and his lateral movement is... Very, very good on defense. And that was a plus in the scrimmages at the Combine, at least from what I saw. He's got active hands defensively, but the shot is the major concern. He's not afraid to shoot it, but it still doesn't look all that good. It's kind of a two-set shot, if that makes sense. It's just very rigid and very robotic. So if he doesn't fix that, he is going to run into some problems. That being said, I think he is going to get grabbed somewhere in the second round. I think he will be available at 45 if I'm being... If I'm being honest, I hope he goes before that just because I'm rooting for him. But I think he is going to be available. He's a little bit older. He's 21. I don't know. I I think the measurables and the athleticism 
his ability to get to the rim are all very appealing, but the shot is the major, major red flag. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a big David Duke guy. You know, the thing with, with Knicks that's kind of intriguing is that he's got the passing and he's got that elite skill. Like, David Duke just doesn't have that. Good athlete and everything, but like... My case against is that I worry that his lack of any like standout skill and in addition, his lack of like a plus to use like kind of baseball scouting terms. He doesn't really have like a, a plus shot or definitely not a plus plus shot. And I don't think he's got any plus plus skills, period. Tom's coming up fresh off the MLB draft using Ooh. his plus plus skills. I love it. Out of 80, I give him like, you know, maybe a couple of 50s. We're talking slot value of 45 here. I don't know, man. I this The lack of a standout skill is concerning. You talk about yeah. Dacian Knicks. He's got that absurd passing ability, right? David Duke doesn't have any standout skill. And that's a major concern. I think his value is dropping day by day. I think mid-college season, he had a much higher value. But there were people who had him in the late first round, which was never going to happen. But there were like Chad Ford had him in the late first round during the college season. Chad Ford knows what he's talking about, but that yeah. is not happening anymore because I think all of your downsides are are being pointed out. So obviously I'm biased and that's why I always like to focus on him because I've watched him for the last couple of years so intensely, but I don't know. He does have, a, I do think he does have a bit of a higher floor just as a point guard. The ceiling is just not very high with David Duke. And I think you can get guys with higher ceilings. Let's talk about uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Definitely like some jack of all trades kind of stuff happening with him. Not not an elite athlete, but he can do a lot of things. And I certainly get the appeal of that. There isn't, and and not that every player has to have like a a super standout skill, but just like, can something stand out a little bit more with Jeremiah Robinson Earl? I don't know. He's got a high IQ. He's, you know, he was a really good college player. He's just not my favorite prospect in the draft, but sell me on him. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You don't like a Villanova prospect who has a low ceiling and a super, super, super high floor? That that doesn't oh, seem like you. Come on. It's not that high. It's No, he does have a high floor. It's a Grant Williams type high floor where it's not going to like blow you away. It is because he does everything well. Just nothing stands out. He can guard a bunch of positions. He has good size. He's strong. He's really, really smart. If you watch him off the ball, he's a very good defender. He's versatile offensively. He's not the greatest shooter, but he can shoot. I I don't know. I think he has a very, very well-rounded game to the point where if you're a team that doesn't need a contributor from the second round, like you need a guy to fill out your depth chart who's going to be solid coming off the bench and can give you a spare six minutes here and there early on in his career, he's a good guy to have. And I think he could fill in and become a pretty nice role player. He's not wildly explosive or anything like that. I really do think he's going to be a solid role player. Look, everything you said is fair and probably accurate and probably better from like a team building perspective. I just like, yeah, I think he's going to be an NBA player for a while. And I get that that's like great value at 45. I'm just never going to be a, a big uh, JRE guy before the draft. From the Celtics perspective, I don't know if they necessarily need a Jeremiah Robinson yeah. Earl type because they have a couple of those guys already on the roster. So I don't really think I like him as a prospect from the Celtics perspective. I don't really think he makes a ton of sense for them. Definitely. And I think that's an important thing to bring up because like jokes aside, like Jeremiah Robinson Earl probably will be an NBA player for a while, but Mm. I'm not sure that's what the Celtics need. I think if the Celtics need an NBA player for a while, they should just go try to get a guy who's already in the NBA, like go get a veteran. 
I think that it's not the worst idea in the world for the Celtics to just take a shot on somebody in 45. Like if there's somebody available who they think like has some real upside, take a sh- like in like a low floor, take a shot. This is like a free pass. The 45th pick in this draft doesn't really matter unless it does, unless you get somebody who really matters. And that's, right. that's super lucky in the second round, but like, why not take a shot at it? So on that note, I think this next guy is kind of interesting that way. Austin Reeves out of Oklahoma. Just so much fun, man. Like, just what a fun basketball player. Like, super exciting. Just like a, a you know, way too confident as a shooter. Uh, and I think that's one of his downsides. But I love it. I'm, I'm all in on it. Like, super impressive finisher around the rim. I think the case for is that you're getting a, a guy who is always going to believe that he belongs in the NBA. Yeah. The second he steps on a floor and like, he's got a lot of skill, super flashy, super good playmaker, a lot of fun to watch. So, I mean, I I think that's my, my case for is that the confidence is there and there's plenty of skill to go along with it. The confidence is there. I think there's plenty of shooting potential at the NBA level. He shot the ball really well at the combine. He was pretty streaky at Oklahoma, but he's a good shooter. Well, he was taking terrible shots. Well, that's the thing. He takes these bombs when he has like other his decision making could certainly certainly use some work but the shooting potential is definitely there playmaking is definitely there I mean he showed that at the combine too I talked about it when we podcasted during the combine he stuck out as like the guy from my point of view that did basically everything in the five on five scrimmages if you watch his stuff at Oklahoma he's not a great defender he's a little undersized for who he's normally pinned at to guard and he doesn't move all that well but he defended pretty well at the combine against some good longer prospects. Like he is still pretty quick. Yeah. He doesn't have the flashy lateral movement that you really look for in a guy like him on the perimeter, but the possibility is there and he's a smart defender. You know, he does, he doesn't screw up off the ball. He knows what he's doing. So I think his offensive package, like you said, is a ton of fun and he can bury himself inside when he's going to the rim and he's pretty good around the rim. So for a guy who's six, four, like really, really impressive. So if you're looking for a guy who can kind of create in any way you want, he's, yeah, he's a little bit older. I think he's 22, 23, but that's a major downside. But man, I, I don't know. I think Austin Reeves is a much better bet than a lot of second round guys. I agree. And yeah, the age is the really concerning thing. Like there's just yeah. not that much upside for a 23 year old. Yeah. He might not develop into a better shooter, but like he's already pretty good. And I mean, like the reason I'm not surprised at all to hear that he was good at the combine is because his shot always, it's, it's a nice, looking shot it is like it goes in a lot he hooked up some absolute (laughs) wild stuff at Oklahoma if he reins that in I I could 100% see him being a really good shooter if he's a really good shooter the passing the finishing the playmaking all of that stuff is is there he can do all that stuff so yeah I I think there's real potential there I think he'd be a lot of fun I'm not sure what his position is at the NBA level but like I don't know either if you can score and you're a guard you don't really need a position. You're a scoring guard. It's fine. Um, yeah, and he's smart enough defensively where it's not going to keep him off the court. Like he'll find it. He'll find his way onto the floor too. And like you said, when he's hucking up those three pointers, yeah, it was you're watching it. You're like, oh, that's not great. But he's ballsy. Like he's a total gamer. Plays his ass off, which is an important thing that I sometimes overlook with draft prospects. No, he really he's competitive plays hard. as hell. Yeah, for sure. Next guy on my list, I have uh, Quentin Grimes. Another one of the guys I just really like him. I liked him, you know, coming out of high school. And I'm really excited for him that he's kind of gotten it together, that he's kind of figured his stuff out like at Houston. That was really cool to see. Shout out to that Houston program for, for helping a couple of guys do that. He's got good size. He can create off the dribble a little bit. He can shoot pretty well. Kind of a jack of all trades in a different type of way where I, we've seen a bunch of guys do this. I like the fact that he's a former high level high school player, struggled at Kansas, but then kind of found his way 
way. He was he was a really good player this past season. Houston was a good team, and, and I think he was. I mean, I think he was he was their best player, right? Probably, probably comfortably. Yeah, I, I like all that stuff about a prospect of his stature with his skill set. So I think Case Four, good size, good skill set, just a lot of stuff that you like at the NBA level from the guard position. He's just a very solid prospect in a lot of different ways. Like you said, really good defender who's kind of gritty, just plays extremely hard. He is a good shooter and his shot looks good. It didn't, from what I saw at the combine, didn't really impress me all that much, which I was kind of intrigued by to the point where he's such a good guy going to the rim because he's strong and he's quick off the dribble. And it's almost as if he has trouble, at least in my notes that I had just pulled up from the combine, he had trouble kind of finding the ball as a shooter when he was off the ball. He, if he found the ball a little bit earlier, he seemed to be able to get into a shot a little bit smoother, but plenty of the time he had trouble finding the ball because he was just so active off the ball. He's constantly, constantly moving. So I think that caused some of his issues at the combine. I think he was just a little, uh, just needed to calm down a little bit, which is the case. You know, you have million, so many eyes on you when you're at the combine. Yeah. It's got to be unbelievably nervous nerve wracking, but he showed the ability to shoot well at Houston. It's it's a nice release and he's a really solid player who's going to play in the NBA for a solid amount of time. Smart player plays hard. I, I don't really have many bad things to say. Yeah. Like he's a good rebounder. Also, I don't really have a ton of downsides for Quentin Grimes. If I'm being totally honest, I think if Quentin Grimes had the season that he had this last year, um, his freshman season at Kansas, yeah, I think he's like a, a mid first round pick, May, maybe even like late lottery. Expand that out a little further. He's 21 and he's going to be 21 until May. Right. So he's still pretty young, despite all of the stuff that's happened in his college career. It took him a little longer to develop. I still, I think that there is plenty of reason to take a shot on him if he's around. I think you're probably getting, you know, a contributor, you know, within a couple of years. Again, you're, you're probably getting a guy who's going to be in the NBA for a while. So, you know, if that's something that interests you at 45, you can probably take him or Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but I like Quentin Grimes better. So, <laughs> but, you're, but you're right. Those are two guys with really solid floors in the second round. That's good second round value. I think he makes a lot of sense for the Celtics if they do want to go grab someone like that. I know he had a, he had a really solid workout with them. He was in the group that had Matt Coleman from Texas, his teammate, Dejan Giroux was in that group, Marcus Garrett from Kansas. Former UMass sure, legend, Dejan Giroux. That's right. That's right. And Zagorowski might have been in that group too, but he, Quentin Grimes, from what I was told, was the best player in that group. So we'll see. It sounded like he made a good impression on the Celtics. All right. Well, next up, we will take a look at trying to decide if he's my favorite prospect uh, of this. Herb group. Jones is definitely your favorite prospect. He, I mean, he is. JT Thorin. Like we talked about some guys I really like. like yeah. JT Thorin, Austin Reeves are up there with him. But man, I love Herb Jones. He's so much fun, man. I The thing with Herb Jones is that his shot still scares me quite a bit. The case for is that he is an absolutely devastating defender. He's just plays so hard, always has his arms up, always moves his feet, just swallows up, you know, ball handlers, can, can protect the rim a little bit, can rotate, like, you know, kind of like JT Thor, a super high IQ player. And, you know, when you combine his physical gifts, because he's very athletic, quick, good explosiveness off the ground, I, I just think he's really good. And then the playmaking is interesting. It's funny because when you kind of like lay out all of his skills, you sort of get this like Ben Simmons vibe of like a guy who's really like, you know, really athletic, can really pass, you know, can can kind of handle the ball. He's not the same kind of ball handler passer that Ben Simmons is where it just looks so natural and so pretty. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not the same thing with Herb Jones, but he has really, really high IQ, really good sense of what's happening around him. And those things just play well, especially with his size. So defensively, I love him. And offensively, I think there's a lot to like in terms of him as a playmaker. The shot needs to come around, but I think those two things could really help him stick at the NBA level. 
Yeah, a guy who's six, 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 seven, really athletic, who sees the floor the way he does and has shown some nice passing flashes. That's intriguing. The defense sticks out without question. If you're a coach running a switchable scheme, he is your guy. Like I know he's 22 years old. We'll talk about the downsides, but the defensive potential is out of this world. He can switch basically one through five. If I, I don't know, I need to watch more of Herb Jones, but from what I've seen, he can switch one through five. He's really good vertically. If he's going up against a bigger guy, he's very, very good coming straight up and down. Just seems to understand his role as a switchable athletic defender. And that athletic versatility on defense is so valuable. Kind of like JT Thor, that defensive value gives him a, the nod over a lot of these other second round prospects. JT Thor gets the nod for me. I, like, like the reason I think he's a little bit higher as a defensive prospect is just because he's taller and he's younger. So you, yep. you look at him and there's like, there's more projectability. You know, with, with Herb Jones, you're like, I think he can defend one through five, maybe not quite the fives. JT Thor, you're like, no, he's going to be able to defend one through five. Obviously Herb Jones's playmaking is, is much better, but he's, you know he's a little older too the shot so he he this season he shot 35 percent from three if you look at his jumper I still don't like it his feet are a little weird he's a lefty and it still looks ugly you know it's just kind of it's kind of off kilter a little bit it's slow it's developing you know it was a disaster like he was Ben Simmons as a shooter you know his first couple seasons this season, he was better for sure. I'm not sold that it's ever going to be like a super serviceable shot at the NBA level. If it is, I mean, he's a huge steal at 45. Like if he yeah. can, if he develops like a decent jumper and you take him at 45, like you're thrilled with who you got. Yeah. Like if you just want like a high upside guy, I like what you can get from Herb Jones. Yeah. I, I like the comparison with JT Thor. JT Thor has the nod with age. He has the nod on the perimeter and the shooting potential. So that definitely yeah. makes JT Thor a better prospect in my mind. doesn't mean Herb Jones is a bad prospect by any means, but I do think the age and the perimeter concerns are the biggest knocks for me. He hasn't really shown much in my mind that's going to say, well, he's going to be a good perimeter player at some point in his NBA career. I could bet on JT Thor at least having some perimeter impact at some point during his NBA career. But Herb Jones is, is a good second round bet. All right, we got so we got three guys left here. Next up, let's go with the guy from my home state, Muscatine, Iowa's finest, Joe Weisskamp. The thing about that you need to know about Iowa white boys is that we don't miss from three. Like we just don't miss. And Joe Weisskamp does not miss. He is an otherworldly shooter. It's funny when you watch him off ball, he's kind of doing like a wall sit at all times because he is always <laughs> loaded up. Like he's always ready to shoot. I feel like my quads would be burning if I spent an entire game like crouched down the way he is, but he is just, that man is ready to gun at any time. He can shoot off movement. He can shoot off the catch. There's like a little bit of playmaking potential there. He's not a super athlete, good size when you look at his shot profile, his, his shooting profile, his shooting potential, like it's just hard to see him fail at the yep. NBA level because he can just shoot. That's just super valuable. And he does it at such a high level. So, and I think NBA defensives have gotten pretty good at hiding some of his most glaring weaknesses. Yeah, I think the case four is just, you want somebody to space the floor? Like you cannot, cannot leave Joe Weisskamp open. He will make you pay. Yeah, my case for Weisskamp is... Quite large, if I'm being honest. I liked him going into the combine. Coming out of the combine, I thought he was the best shooter in the in the draft. He's so quick. I don't, I, who's his competition? I don't know that it's Kispert close. would be the only competition in my mind. And sure. I think he's... I actually, I think Weisskamp is a lot better, actually. I like Weisskamp better than Kispert as well. He does so many things well. And 
you know, we're focusing on him here, so I don't want to overreact, but he did a lot well at the combine. It was really, really impressive. We all know he can shoot. His movement away from the ball to get open, just ripping around screens and ripping off of handoffs, really, really impressive. You can get a shot off super quick, but he's also like, he was running the pick and roll very well at the combine. Very, very well to the point where I was kind of blown away a little bit because I assumed he was just, I didn't watch a whole lot of him before the combine. And I just assumed he was going to be that classic, just marksman, but he's pretty, pretty good in the pick and roll and off the ball. He's sort of like, you could tell he's a smart player. He knows where to be off the ball and defensively at the combine. He was also really good. He was really quick laterally and he stayed with guys who I would have told you would have blown past him prior to. So his, his measurables were also really good at the combine. I don't want to go the sneaky athletic route here, but he was more athletic if I'm being honest than I thought. If you look at people's critiques of him, it's that he's not the strongest player and he's not the greatest with the ball in his hands as he's not like doesn't have all that tight of a handle, but he's not going to need that at the NBA level. You know, you're not, he's not going to be running the pick and roll at all times. He's not going to be bringing the ball up the floor at all times. So I don't think that's a major concern. As we've said about plenty of other guys, I don't think he has a crazy high ceiling. Like he's a tremendous shooter, yeah. but that floor I think is really, really high. And I think he's one of my favorite second round prospects. He's, he's really good. His ceiling is not all-star. Like he's right. not, no. he's not going to be an all-star no. player or anything like that. No. And I think the case against, he is a bad defender. Like he got destroyed at I Iowa. I don't know if he is a bad defender. He struggled at Iowa, man. Like people he, were getting by him pretty easily. He did, but I think what I, I guess what I'm getting at is I think there's more potential potential than I initially thought okay. there. I, I really do because I his measurables and the way he was moving at the combine made me think that there was some stuff you could work with. But you're not wrong. In Big Ten play, he he did struggle defensively quite a bit. Just like, and when you look at the level of NBA athleticism, I, I worry about him there. But Fair. I mean, you know, not to go like white guy to white guy, but like you talk about like a Duncan Robinson type and it's like, you know, like Duncan Robinson can't guard Jason Tatum, but like the, the Heat have found ways to make sure that he's a super effective player. Like that's what Weiss Camp ceiling is. It's like a Duncan yeah. Robinson. If he's around at 45, real interesting pickup for the Celtics guy. I would be curious to know what that would mean for Aaron Neesmith, who was drafted at 14 to do exact, like to I was going to say, there's a lot of similarities there for sure. And like, I think that Weisskamp is a better shooter probably than Neesmith. So that that would be he real is. interesting. He definitely I, is. And, and I mean, you know, Neesmith obviously showed that he will destroy himself chasing the ball around the floor as a Celtic. Like he's, he, he did some things at the NBA level that are real intriguing for sure. Let's go kind of quick on these guys here. Yeah. Next up, we'll, we'll do Namias Keita. Why don't you uh, give me the rundown? You put him on your list. Yeah, Keita's interesting because measurables are off the charts. I think he was the tallest player in the draft after the combine, 7'4 wingspan. And that size is pretty intriguing. He's just seven feet, isn't he? Yeah, six. He measured in at six foot eleven point two five. Yeah, seven foot. Yeah, and he's the tallest player in the draft. That's what I have in my notes here. I uh, weird. Don't quote me on that, everyone. But that's what I have okay. in my notes I, from I a month ago. You. It's just it's just weird that like the, there it is, is that seven is seven footer in the draft. Yeah, that is odd. But that's what I have here, at least from measurables without shoes at the combine. That's what I have written down here. But that size is intriguing considering the way he can pass. Like he did show yeah. flashes at Utah State. I don't want to say with the offense running through him, yeah. but for a guy that size that can go to the top of the key and sort of have the offense run through, that's intriguing. He's older for a raw prospect, which is a pretty big concern. You know, 22, you'd hope the guy was a little more fine-tuned than he is, but he has really good feel. And for a guy that size who has that sort of court vision, 
I don't know. He'd be an intriguing but older project in the second round, I think more so than a lot of the other prospects in that range. One more for the case four. He, in the Mountain West, he didn't defend all that well. And I think he was a little rigid moving lateral. He's a bigger guy. That's kind of assumed. But from what I heard, he's looked pretty good defensively and a little more defensive versatility than I think was expected. And he moved pretty well at the combine. So there is a little projectability there on the defensive end, more so than a lot of people initially thought. I guess my case against him is that he's basically just bigger Rob, like for a ceiling, big, super athletic, super long, good, you know, at blocking shots, a little rigid, like laterally good passer, like all of that stuff to me is just like Rob Williams. If he's like fully realized and you just don't know if he's going to be fully realized. He's also, I mean, is is he older than Rob? Like right now? Yeah. Um, He's 22. So (laughs) I don't know how old Rob is. Yeah. Like I think Rob's like 23, but yeah. So it's close. Like, I I don't know that I would, I would take a shot on, on Kata just because of that. Like, you know, that the potential is there for Rob to be a really good NBA player and you might as well just two Robs never hurt anybody. But like, you know, I I think I'd be looking for somebody whose skill set is a little different. I think that's fair. And then the last guy that that we have here, uh, you guys may have seen the, (laughs) the clip that was floating around of Jericho Sims with his eyes literally above the rim. One of the most absurd athletes, especially vertically, that you can imagine. Like, if you think Rob, like, he might he might jump higher than Rob. Like, he might get up higher than Rob does. Oh, like, I think he does. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. crazy. <laughs> it is insane. I like when people I like when people say, yeah, he's a really good finisher. Yeah, he's a good finisher because he's looking <laughs> down at the rim half of the time. No shit, he's a good finisher. I am such a good finisher on my son's little tycoon. <laughs> yeah, crazy. like, I was a great finisher on my Nerf hoop when I was in elementary school. It was awesome. <laughs> but everything Jericho Sims does well kind of revolves around his crazy athleticism and his ability to jump through the roof. I think that does bode well for him as a rim protector. Like he's actually sure. a smart rim protector. He doesn't yeah. foul a whole lot for a guy his size. A lot of times you get a raw prospect like that who's super athletic. They'll just foul a ton because they can jump so high and they're so bouncy around the rim. He's actually pretty smart as a rim protector, but you're right. There's not a whole lot out outside of his wild athleticism that is intriguing. Like he doesn't shoot. There's no real shooting potential there. I agree with you. I mean, I I think if you take a shot on him, that's cool. Like you're getting a super athlete, but if you're looking for like defensive stuff, I just think there's a lot of guys in this class that one of them will probably be available to you, who I think makes a little bit more sense for the Celtics than Jericho Sims would. So I wouldn't necessarily anticipate seeing, although one thing that would be fun is a Rob Williams to Jericho Sims alley-oop. Oh my God. (laughs) Just living above the rim. Jericho Sims is versatile for his size defensively, yeah, but but you're right in the fact that there are other bigs that are very athletic like him that can switch, I don't know, two through five, whatever it might be, that give you more elsewhere than Jericho Sims does. So yeah, he has a ton of defensive versatility, but there's not a whole lot else there. Whereas you look at a guy like JT Thor, who's very switchable. There's a lot more to like about his game than there is Sims. All right, Grenham. We will uh, we'll be back with with more draft content over the next ten days for sure. And yeah, thank you to everybody who's listened. Uh, thank you to everybody who's left a rating or a review. We'll be back with Nicole a little bit later this week.